Hi, I'm Jim Paolino, CEO of Lodestar Software Solutions and the host of Lodestar's Landing Leaders. On this podcast, we bring in thought leaders from across the real estate industry and occasionally outside of it to have conversations that are insightful, interesting, and impactful. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lodestar's Landing Leaders. We have my good friend and special guest, Ellie Lynn. Ellie Lynn is a mental health and wellness copywriter and founder of Ali Lynn Writes. Sorry about that, Ali. Um, and is also another proud Lehigh University alum. I'm really excited for our conversation. Um, we're going to focus today on all things mental health. I believe it's we're wrapping up Mental Health Awareness Month of, of May, too. So I think this is a apropos um, you know, topic, always important. So really, really excited to touch on a lot of different things um, about, about, um, about the topic. So Ali, please do a better introduction than I just did for you. Tell us a little about yourself, about your company, what brings you here? Sure, yeah, so my company is Adeline Wrights LLC. Um, so I used to be a therapist. I was a therapist for five years. Um, and I got really burnt out in the field. I worked mostly in inpatient psychiatric hospital settings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw lots and lots of different diagnoses, different mm-hmm. people dealing with you know, lots of mental health issues. Um, and it was a great learning experience, but it really burned me out. And so I found copywriting kind of accidentally. Um, and I knew I wanted to write for therapists when I became a copywriter. So that's what I do. I mostly write for therapists in private practice, although Mm -hmm. I do write for some clinics um, and other people in the field. Um, So my clients range from different specialties, but what Mm -hmm. I do is help them market themselves through search engine optimized or SEO optimized Mm -hmm. uh, websites, blogs, I do emails, newsletters, social media, a lot of Psychology Today profiles, which is a really great way to find therapists um, for people who are looking. Um, and I help them connect to their ideal client and increase their services and engagement. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I see a lot of your LinkedIn content, a lot of, you know, very prolific in getting out there. And it's been been great to watch. And one of the things we'll talk about a little bit is kind of the taboo nature of, of mental health and talking about mental health. And I think in my opinion, or my perspective, it seems like that is slowly changing. And do you feel that, you know, what what effect has the last year or so had on on your clients, on the profession, the things that they're concerned about? You know, is there any shortage of clients for them right now? Like where where do we stand? Yeah, not at all. Yeah, so in the beginning of the pandemic, it was very difficult for, and I was just starting out as well. So I was trying to find clients you know, and finding therapists in private practice who were just trying to stay afloat. Because at that point, um, telehealth was like just happening for them. Mm-hmm. Most of my clients now meet either solely um, online or do a hybrid of in-person and telehealth, mm-hmm. um, which has made mental health services so much more accessible to people mm-hmm. during this pandemic. Because mm-hmm. essentially, you know, before you were limited to seeing a therapist in your location and you had to find somebody that you could drive to or take the train to or you know whatever but now if you're online you can meet with anybody licensed in your state so Mm -hmm. it really opens up um to be able to meet with people um i think that what has happened over the last year plus is that so many more people have been dealing with heightened anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. um substance abuse is bad people have been drinking a lot more um 
people who live with, you know, their partners have been going through maybe some major issues, lots more fighting. Maybe people have broken up and couldn't leave their home and they have to live with their ex. Like all of these things have definitely increased unemployment, people losing jobs. Yeah. Losing jobs. Absolutely. And so what that's done is that's made my clients, at least most of them have become a lot busier Mm -hmm. um, or are starting a private practice because they're able to get clients in the door. Mm -hmm. And you talked about kind of the working from home as being really helpful to therapists as a way to reach more clients and speak to more people. I think that's a double-edged sword, right? Because aren't there a lot of challenges from working from home that increase people's need for therapy in the first place too? Like what exactly, like where, where is now everyone being home-ridden for close to a year, you know, fit on all of that? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, I think there's a lot of anxiety around going back to work for people who are Mm -hmm. actually thriving at home. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that there's so many people whose lives have been completely uprooted from having to work from home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people who have kids now suddenly are, and they're at school, at home, they have to deal with that, you know, increased isolation just in general, you know, when you don't have your colleagues to walk to down the hallway and stop by or go talk to your boss, like you have to schedule a Zoom meeting for everything that really affects people's mental health. So I do think that, um, you know, yes, it's been great for therapists to be working from home, but I also think it's hard for the employees who are working from home um, to find that balance. One of the things I've seen about working from home, and my wife has said this too, as well as like the joys of the job kind of got sucked out, right? And that was that in-person interaction. I'm finally back in the office. And um, the other day when we were in the office, we it was a new space. So we were out of, um, we had no utensils. So it was like, okay, let's just walk to CVS, get um, get utensils and come back and eat lunch. And like, there's no virtual version of that. You're not going to like video chat while you're walking or just like keeping the, so I feel like, especially for people who thrive off of that in-person interaction for people that are, are extroverts. I think that that's important. I think that's one thing I've, I've learned about myself too, is I think you need some level of that in-person interaction. And obviously everyone's different from, you know, where they get energy from and things like that. But I think it's, it's definitely, I know for myself, made myself more aware of like trying to get some baseline level of that in whatever way I can. Yeah. And I will say as someone who works solely from home or wherever I am, cause I can, yeah. I have location independence, but you know, it's just me and my desk and my computer. Yeah. Um, I, have to schedule online co-working sessions and you know co- copywriter buddy talks and things like that mm-hmm. and like you said you're not gonna get you're not gonna get the same thing as like walking down the street with somebody or walking down right. to their office but it's something and for those people who do already work from home or who will continue to work from home I think finding things like that is really yeah. important you forgot about our one-on-one business sessions too I did forget about our one-on-one yeah. business sessions helping yeah. me out yeah. when yeah. I first got started uh, that's well, okay. Very humble brag for you of, you know, being your second year of your own company and doing really well. So it's, been, it's been fun to watch. But um, when you think of, you know, writing and communicating about mental health, it's always been such a taboo subject, right? Especially, you know, as we get into and talk about kind of generations, Lee. So how do you approach talking about something that generally people don't feel comfortable talking about, especially I'm in an industry that is generally much older too. 
Yeah. So the first thing, just thinking about the generation mm -hmm. part of it is I think that younger people, I think millennials um, or elder millennials, even mm -hmm. um, as we are called essentially, yeah. <laughs> apparently. Um, but I think that our generation and the generation below us is starting to talk about mental health a lot more. You know, yeah. we're starting to say like, well, I go see a therapist or I'm feeling really depressed or man, this pandemic has me feeling so isolated and anxious. Mm -hmm. I think that um, social media is changing that a lot. I think there's a lot more I see on my, on my feed anyway. And I follow a lot of therapists, but I follow a lot of activists too. And just mm -hmm. friends who are posting, yeah. you know, about mental health awareness month and what does that mean? And things like that. Um, as far as the writing part goes, I would say, you know, I write a lot of blogs and websites and I think that people are therapists that I'm writing for are touching more on you know, the bigger issues around mental health and trying to destigmatize it and destigmatize coming to therapy. So for example, I'm writing a website for a uh, therapist who's starting a private practice who is working with people who are victims of um, narcissistic abuse and what she calls coercive control. Mm -hmm. And so her whole, the, our whole approach is uh, destigmatizing getting help for you know, being in an abusive relationship. So mm -hmm. just even the approach of, of the words we use and trying to get people, you know, yay, you're, congratulations, you're here, you're taking the first step, you know, that's, so mm -hmm. that's kind of the approach um, that, that a lot of my clients like to take. Mm -hmm. Of, yeah, of just, you know, I'm glad you're here. I mean, the first, I, I've been seeing therapists on and off for, for many years. And that first step of, I'm someone who cold calls people for a living, right? As a business owner and like trying to cold call therapists and get an appointment and figure out what works and go from there is, you know, definitely a very frustrating process. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the pieces of my job is to help remove the barrier to finding um, a mental health professional that will meet your needs, whether that's a psychologist um, or a psychiatrist or a therapist or a counselor, like finding what works for you. And, you know, for me, it's about getting my clients front and center in a Google search um, because that's the thing, right? When you're looking for a therapist, you're going to turn to psychology today right. or you're going to turn to Google. Yeah. Therapists who deal with depression near me, you know, right. that's the kind of thing cool. people are typing in. If you're lucky enough too to have insurance that covers that, you can go through your insurance website. But then I remember looking, they had mental health and then like a hundred different categories too. Of yeah. Like, what about this? What about this specialist? What about all of these different things that people can focus on? So it's definitely overwhelming very quickly. And that was, I think one thing that got me really, it was eye-opening for me of, you know, I was in a fortunate place where I was not, um, I was choosing to go through this because it was something I think was is helpful, is truly helpful for anyone. Um, but it wasn't a like urgent this second need, and I it made me worry of people who actually need that help yesterday actually being able to get that quickly. Yeah, and there's different levels of care, obviously. Yeah. So you know, people mm -hmm. who are truly in crisis are going to emergency rooms and inpatient yeah. like hospitals. People who are, you know, just starting therapy for the first time might be looking at something like BetterHelp or right. Talkspace online, where it's yeah. less intimidating and cheaper. Mm -hmm. Or finding people yeah. who do sliding scale, like you said, you know, mm -hmm. the, it's it's very intimidating and scary to take that mm -hmm. first step. 
uh, for sure. I've been in therapy for, you know, since I was 15. So I don't remember taking that first step, but I know that it was probably scary. Yeah. And then even now, I'm sure if there was times where you ended up switching therapists, it's like, oh, we have to go do all of this again and and everything like that too. And then um, one question on behalf of therapy patients everywhere, what are they writing down? What are the therapists writing down? What are they writing down? Right, but I never, yeah. Sure, I mean, they're taking, they're taking notes. I mean, think about how many clients your therapist probably right. sees, right? So yeah. they're taking, you know, notes on maybe the person's name that you're, if you're dealing with an ex-boyfriend and they want to remember yeah. that person's name, they're yeah. writing down, you know, what your affect is like. Are you coming in, you know, completely mm. flat and miserable looking mm. so they can remember that for the next time? Mm. Um, what are some key things that you said that they can remember for the next time? It's all about that. It's not necessarily about like, you know, analyzing you, even though it might feel like that. And I think a lot of therapists are steering away from writing their notes during a session yeah. and write their notes after so they can truly be with you in the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was just always, always curious. So figured there's no better person to, <laughs> to ask than that. So, and I think it's, it's been interesting about talking about it more and more and you had mentioned, you know, how people can talk about it. And I think even aside from, you know, the situations you talked about it with narcissistic abuse, I think I, I saw somewhere, someone told me that people now end their days more tired, fully working from home than when they went into the office and didn't commute or didn't go anywhere. And I don't know exactly why. I don't know if it were the things we talked about where there's just more of a strain because like the, the more joyous parts of the job are gone or what, but I think acknowledging that like just your normal day to day, if nothing else is draining in and of itself. And I think you have to take into account, you know, what is your home life like when you're working from home? Do you have kids? Are they around all the time? Is your partner working in the space next to you? Are you sharing an office? Mm -hmm. Or are you just completely isolated and just focused for the whole day? And suddenly it's so draining, like you said, that there's no energy left. Whereas when you're, you know, in an office, you can take breaks and like talk to get some coffee, talk to your coworker, maybe at home, you're just working straight through. Yeah. And I think that that's a good point. And that's one thing I've found interesting myself is one of the nice things about a commute is you leave the office, you close the door, you have a 20 minutes, whatever it is to drive or take a subway or walk and decompress. And I always call it, you exit your day, right? Even if you work later, if you, even if you work at things later, but it's, it's a symbolic ending of the day. And you don't have that when you're working on your couch in your kitchen or on your table or anything like that. So I was joking in the the beginning of the pandemic. I think for me, it was putting on changing my work sweatpants and putting on my just hanging around sweatpants was kind of my my exiting of the day. But I think it it, it's definitely tough when you don't have that um, as much anymore. And especially now you brought up it's interesting because I think there's so many things that can be helpful and hurtful at the same time, right? We talked about work from home and increasing access to therapists. You talked about social media, um, which obviously is a great way of people talking about mental health, but I think it's probably a pretty big cause of mental health related problems. Oh, sure. For sure. Even just thinking about like, you know, as a new business owner and Mm. trying to be more visible on social media, the pressure of having to post 
three, four, five times a week is so mm -hmm. much that like I've had to take you know breaks from it yeah. and feel like I have to apologize for not being on social media. I mean, I, right. you're absolutely right. So I think there's, you know, I think it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. Well, then just seeing what other people are doing, right? Or, you know, I've had friends who I know have traveled months ago, but then they post a travel picture or something like that. So you think they're traveling right now or yeah. you know, just all different things like that, like the perception versus reality. And there came a time where I, I took Instagram, I took Facebook off my phones, I can access it on my computer, but that cut down hours a week of what, what I was looking at. So, um, you know, I definitely think that that's something that is really important if you, you kind of see where those, you know, types of triggers are coming from. And I think you're also bringing up a good point when you're talking about like people who took trips months ago and are posting them now. People yeah. are sitting around, you know, thinking like, well, what are they, like their life is so great. What am I doing? Yeah. You know, my life is so boring when really that's not reality. Right, yeah. Or they always say like the, the um, business coaches who like go into a lot, take a picture next to a Lamborghini and then post that on, on Instagram. So the whole, you know, Instagram versus reality thing is. Yeah there's a lot to it. So, you know, a lot of who we talk to on this podcast, who listens to the podcast are professionals in the mortgage industry, people who have been fortunate in the last year that it's an industry that is really excelled um, because of low interest rates, because of people sitting in their houses for months and wanting a new house now. So deciding to move or things like that. But I think that creates a different type of stress. Um, in and of itself, um, whether it be a survivor guilt, whether it be just general burnout. Um, and is there advice that your clients give or you give to managers or people, you know, running departments, people and companies of generally how they can kind of support that type of thing? You know, it's really interesting. I'm actually working on a blog for a, a clinic mm -hmm. that I work, uh, that I write for right now um, mm -hmm. about mental health in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So that's really um, timely that you brought that up. Yeah, I think, so I think it's important for supervisors and managers and even the executives to mm -hmm. really educate themselves on work-related mental health issues. Um, mm -hmm. I think I said this before, but some of the common ones are like anxiety, depression, and panic attacks. Like that's a, what a lot of people who deal with at work, you know, might, might come up and affect their job. Mm -hmm. um, so if an employee is having an issue, that can be supported by the team um, in an environment that's non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's when people start feeling comfortable enough to talk to the supervisor or manager mm -hmm. about what they need and what they're dealing with, or maybe I need to leave early for a therapy appointment, like right. just letting them know. But mm -hmm. I think that you need to be, you know, I think you need, I think everyone needs to be aware of, you know, the, the person next to them, could be and probably is going through something that they may not understand. And I also think that as, as, a, um, as a coworker, you know, what you can do is things like not make a person who needs to take a mental health day or two feel guilty that they left you with a bunch of work to yeah. do, you know, that kind of thing, like just being supportive. I mean, I'll mm -hmm. share a story when I worked in inpatient psych, um, sometimes I would get panic attacks before a group mm -hmm. to the point where I couldn't go on the unit and mm -hmm. someone else would have to take my group over for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, my colleagues were very great about that. My supervisor was not, she did not like that people had to step in and help over something I had no control over. Right. So being an understanding boss is right. really important. 
And I mean, how is that different than someone having really bad migraines or, you know, issues with their back where they can't come in one day or something like that? I think that's the thing I've, I know myself personally evolved on um, and seeing you know, things that have happened in my family and just that is just as important and that is just as real as anything else. And you wouldn't feel that way if, you know, someone had a more, a more tangible, a physical issue, right? That is, is a little more normalized. Right, exactly. I think for me, it's just being open and talking about it. I had a, a situation where you know, early on, I'm fortunate that I have control over my schedule. So when um, I have a therapist who wants to meet in the middle of the day. So before COVID, I would go and I would meet him and I would have to block it off my calendar. People saw my calendar. So I'd always put lunch because it was at noon. I was going for lunch every Monday you know, who knows, right? So then one day I did that, came back from the appointment, sat down at my desk and immediately ate my lunch. <laughs> so the person next to me said, wait, didn't you just go to lunch? Are you really that hungry? And I was like, oh no, I saw my therapist. So it's, it was just, you know, I think just, you know, being a little more open about that and those types of things, I think is, is really important. And I think, I hope that, that, our generation, the millennial generation is more and more open with things like that. Um, and I don't know, when you're dealing with old clients who are older, their patients are older, um, what, how do you see people finally kind of turning their, their how they think about mental health and you know, being a little more open to, to talking about that or supporting others? I think that so first of all, I think that people tend to resonate with people who are, especially people who are older, might resonate with a therapist who is around their age. Mm -hmm. When I worked in the hospital, um, I was on the, what we call the geriatric unit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was very difficult for those patients to feel like the 30 year old therapist was going to understand and help them. Right. So I think that when it comes to the older generation, um, having a therapist who is in that generation is helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're talking about, you know, what you're writing um, for a therapist of an older generation who works with people in an older generation, it's, it's going to be different. You're going to speak to different pain points, right? You're going to speak to, you know, maybe the different types of depression they're going to feel post their, you know, kids leaving the nest and, right. and becoming a grandparent and the life transitions of getting older. And, you know, that's something that's going to be spoken to by someone maybe of a different generation mm -hmm. than say someone in our generation, who's probably working with people around the same age right. or, or younger. No, I think that's, that's a good point. And earlier you had mentioned talk space and um, I think it was health, health front. I forget the other one. Better help. Better help. There's um, a couple. There's another one called Amwell. There's a bunch of them yeah. out there, online therapy platforms. Yeah. So what? Tell me. I, I see advertisements for that all the time. I've never really know a ton about that. How is that helpful for people looking to get involved? What What is kind of the the place of those types of services in the industry now? And it seems like there's a lot more of them. Yeah. So I think that the difference between, especially now, like we talked about with so many therapists in private practice being online. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the difference is you might turn to a, a platform like BetterHelp or Talkspace mm -hmm. if you maybe have never been to therapy before. Um, they tend to have cheaper options. Mm -hmm. um, 
I can't, I don't know if they take insurance, but I know that they are a cheaper option than mm. maybe someone in a private practice who you pay out of pocket. So um, it's still face-to-face -face video therapy. It's face-to-face -face, -face video therapy and you have access to them via a chat. As far mm. as I know, I don't do, I don't know a lot about BetterHelp and, and mm. Amwell and Talkspace, but mm. the thing about those places is I think they're good resources for people who are intimidated by therapy and mm -hmm. want to see a counselor, which is different than someone mm -hmm. who's going to really dive into the psychotherapeutic mm -hmm. issues that you're dealing with. So mm -hmm. I was actually talking to um, a couple women today and I was, I was in preparation for this. I said, so if you wanted to go to therapy, would you prefer someone in private practice yeah. or better help? And they all said private practice. Mm -hmm. They felt like that person would get them and you could build a relationship over mm -hmm. time, whereas you don't know what you're going to get on an online platform. And I don't want to put them down. I'm sure that yeah. they're great for people, but mm -hmm. they're just, they meet different needs. That's more of kind of an accessible starting option. I think so. Yeah. And you bring up a good point of the difference between a counselor, a therapist, a psychiatrist, a social worker, um, behavioral therapy versus... Is it psycho? I forget. I forget the other kind of the like other psychodynamic versus psychodynamic, like, right. Like there's just so much to understand about yeah. it. And I think that's probably why it can be very overwhelming too. Is there, you know, if someone is looking to start for what, whatever reason, how, how do you even dive in and start to understand all of that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Google is your best friend when yeah. it comes to that. I think mm -hmm. all of us are, are Googling yeah. everything these days. Um, mm -hmm. And that's actually another place where, you know, my work comes in is that I'm trying to get my clients on page one of Google so that if you're mm -hmm. Googling, right. you know, something, so like back to the narcissistic abusive therapist, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're Googling, how do I find help for narcissistic abuse or for abusive relationship? I want to make sure she gets to page one so yeah. that you find her and you see she is the one yeah. to help you with this. Um, mm -hmm. But I also think psychology today is a really great resource. Mm -hmm. um, I've used it a bunch. Um, mm -hmm. Every time I've changed locations, you know, you can mm -hmm. do it by location. You can do it by, you know, the types of things that they specialize in. Mm -hmm. I write a lot of psychology today profiles for my clients mm -hmm. um, because, and I know that they've come back to me and said, after we changed my profile, I got booked. Um, yeah. So it works and it, it'll send you to their website and it'll send you to their email and that kind of mm. thing. So those are the places where I feel like you should get started. Mm. Okay. No, we'll make sure we post that and, you know, definitely want to stress, you know, get started, look for that. There are a lot of resources out there and there's no bad way to start, right? Even if it is a talk space or something like that, like you, you know, the, that first step is the, the topic. Right. And it is the toughest. And I think also, you know, there's the worry that your therapist, I, I also write about this a lot. Like, I, you know, my therapist is going to judge me or my therapist is going to, you know, not understand me. And that's like a big worry. And, you know, that's the complete opposite of what, you know, if you're a good therapist, what you're there for. And the, the one, the one reality of searching for a therapist is sometimes it's not a good fit right away and you have to find a new person. And so you have to be I think if you're if you're taking that step, you have to be ready um, to mm -hmm. explore several options yeah. um, and not think, well, this didn't work out, so yeah. therapy isn't going to work for me. Right. There's the difference between the therapist themselves and therapy as a whole. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you, you brought that up earlier about finding someone 
you know, generationally is a good fit or, or anything else kind of makes sense. Everyone's approach will be a little bit different, mm -hmm. I think, too. Um, and even even when it comes to gender, you know, yeah. having having a, a therapist who you right. feel can relate to you. Yeah. And for, I don't know, I, and I think I'll, so much of that comes to personal present, preference, right, of what, what works versus doesn't or who you want to talk to or things like that. So, you know, yeah. the, more, the more you try, the more you can kind of see what, what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, yeah definitely. So I know we talked about a, a lot of different things right now. Um, is there any other kind of major trends that you feel in, in mental health? I know the, the apps and a lot of that type of thing is, is a big thing, virtual um, visits. Anything else that you're seeing across, you know, the other other people that you work with? Yeah, I think I think just back to what we've been talking about about you know making therapy seem approachable. You know, mm -hmm. that's something I um, whenever I, I work with a new client, I give them a questionnaire, and one of the things that I ask them is, what are words that you think your ideal clients are describing you as? or what words and values would you describe for yourself? And almost every single one of them, it's approachable, it's honest, it's open, it's calm, it's, you know, it's, um, so I think the approachability part is the one I see the most is like, I want people to feel like they're gonna be listened to and mm -hmm. seen and heard and all of mm -hmm. these things. So I think that, um, yeah, I just think that if you're, if you're going to a therapist's website, for example, you want to feel like you can approach them. You want to feel like you can sit down and have a conversation with them and that they're going to understand you and be, you know, really listen to you. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, definitely makes sense. I think I've, I've, you know, you want to see that they remember your sister's name or they want to see that they, you remember the, the things that were brought up in the last session or, or something like that. And what I found too is having that kind of baseline relationship makes it a lot easier when stress increases, right? For whatever reason, that's going to happen. It's life, right? So having that foundation of someone who you can talk to, who you don't have to spend weeks on kind of all of the baseline or background things. It's, hey, like, you know, you're, you're already cued in on this. This is what's happening now. That's really stressful. Like I found that to be, to be a huge help. So I think that's really part of the, um, I think, positive, po positive benefits of, of doing that. And you just brought up something that made me think of a of one thing, and that is just that when you start seeing a therapist, usually the first time you see them, for those people listening who you know are thinking about therapy and have never been to therapy before, your first session is going to be you know sit down and answer lots and lots of questions about your background, about your you know what you do, about what stresses you out, all of those things. But that's not what it's going to be like all the time. Right. So, you know, you get all that out of the way. They, they you do an assessment or an evaluation, and mm -hmm. then you can really start opening up and building a rapport. And I think that's the other thing that I see therapists really wanting to stress is the therapeutic mm -hmm. relationship being the most important part of therapy. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting too with with what you're doing because you're helping them market themselves, you're helping them sell, you're helping them position yourselves. And I feel like a lot of sole practitioners, professionals that don't view themselves as salespeople don't realize that they have to go and they have to do that, right? That's part of what they're doing. So, um, you know, I can definitely see challenges of that if people who aren't in a role that, you know, they're a professional listener at the end of, listener at the, end of the day, not necessarily 
you know, someone who's, who's in marketing and sales, although listening is very important in that, but it's, you know, definitely I can see the, the, the change in mindset is being needed. Yeah. And that's something that I get a lot from potential clients and clients when, you know, they start working with me is like, I don't know how to talk about myself. I don't know how to say mm -hmm. what, you know, I do in a way that's articulate. And so that's where I come in, obviously. Um, and it is, it is marketing um, and it's information-based mm -hmm. and it's, you know, communication and relational. So it's, it's lots of different things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the type of copywriting I do is very different than, you know, if I was writing in like e-commerce and selling mm -hmm. products, you know, that's not what I'm doing. I am selling services, but I'm doing it in a way that makes you connected to the therapist whose mm -hmm. services we're trying to market. Mm -hmm. And I think that perfectly lines up for our last question too, of what gets you up in the morning? What gets you excited? I think you just kind of answered it and then mostly, but we'd love to hear yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the first time in a very long time, I feel like I'm doing something that I'm good at most days, not every day, <laughs> but, but you have those days where you get up and you're like, yes, let's do this. I'm going to write three pages of website copy today or, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, um, I think that also just, you know, my, um, just personally, one of the things that made me want to be a copywriter was location independence because mm -hmm. my husband travels a lot for work mm -hmm. and I wanted to be able to go with him when he goes on long mm -hmm. trips. So just being able to like get up and be like, I can go anywhere today. Yeah. I can work at any time. If I want to start my day at 11 o'clock, I can do that. Like that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely <laughs> under, understand that too. Um, for sure. Well, is there, is there anything else that you want to address that you feel we didn't touch on? I know mental health is such a huge area. Um, is there, is there anything that, that you want to make sure was addressed? I don't think so. I just, I just think, you know, going back to, um, you know, the generation now of talking about therapy versus maybe our parents' generation. Um, and when you're dealing in the workplace with people of an older generation, um, if you're in a managerial or supervisory uh, position, just being aware of, you know, what might be going on with people. Obviously, you can't ask unless they, you know, legally, unless someone comes forward and mm -hmm. says something. I was just writing a piece about, um, you know, the hiring process and what do you do as far as like, you can't ask if someone has a mental illness. So right. how do you know they're going to be good at their job? So I think it's just going back to like, listening to each other, being supportive of each other, whether it's in the workplace or not. Um, yeah. And I think that goes a really long way when it comes to like breaking the stigma of, you know, mental yeah. health, needing help, especially after this, you know, during this pandemic, which mm -hmm. we're still obviously not out of, you know, yeah. it, it's been so mm -hmm. difficult for so many people mm -hmm. that I, I hope that, oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, I hope that one of the things that comes out of this is that people, have a better understanding of what maybe other people might, greater empathy for what people are going through, for what depression is, for what it's like to, you know, I know someone who stopped drinking because he was like, I was drinking every day at four o'clock and yeah. suddenly realized that was a problem, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the things that comes up a lot when we talk about different topics on this podcast is very often, probably most of the time, the right thing to do and the thing that also is most helpful for you can be the same. So checking in on employees, checking in on coworkers, being empathetic, 
caring about them as people, that's going to make for a better work environment for everyone too. So it's not, it's not performative. It's something that actually, when when people give a crap, it actually makes a difference. So we'd also love to hear from you in our comments. Seems like a great note to end things on. Thanks so much for, for coming in. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks Tim. It was great to be here. See you next time.